Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. So good to have you here this morning. I trust that you're glad you're here as well. All right, today is the third installment. We're right in the middle of our September series entitled, This Is Us. And with this series, our main objective is to highlight the top five core values that we embrace here at our church. And for the record, these core values or these attributes represent our highest priorities. And now I mean our deep convictions and beliefs. They're at the heart of everything that we do. And since we all love grace, the unmerited and undeserved favor of God, and then some, what we've done is we've built these five core values and the mission of our church, really, around the word grace. So we've done this before. Let's do it one more time this morning. Let's do it together. G. R. A. C. And E. God deserves to be first. Relationships matter. We should all be involved in acts of service because we've all been given a spiritual gift. God has called us to show and to have compassion for others. And we should know and recognize that everything we have belongs to God. Now, just to change it up a bit, with this particular series, we decided to defy the normal sequence of things and not follow the typical G-R-A-C-E chronological order. And I know for some of you, that presents a huge challenge. For others, it's borderline unbearable. All I can say is I'm sorry. It just seemed to roll out that way. It was not our intention to purposely torment you. All right. Two weeks ago in lesson number one of this series, Sean Bono talked about relationships. The Bible tells us that relationships matter to God. Therefore, relationships should matter to us. Last week in lesson number two, we looked at the G in grace. God deserves to be first. And at the close of that message, I gave you four ways to attempt to put God first in your life. Anybody remember them? All right, the first one was to give God first place in your heart. And then give God the first day of the week like you're doing right now. Then to give God the first consideration in any decision that you have to make, particularly the the major decisions. And then to honor God with the first part of your finances. I trust that you're trying to implement these into your life. All right, today in the third installment, we're going to look at the C in grace, compassion for others. Say that with me, please. Compassion for others. One more time. Compassion for others. In the Greek, that word compassion literally means to suffer together, to share and take part in the same suffering. See, biblical compassion goes well beyond the emotions of pity, sorrow, or sadness. Genuine compassion, God-ordained compassion, is twofold 
First, it's possessing a deep inner sympathy for the person who's suffering. And then secondly, that genuine sympathy is accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain. And so when you have compassion for someone, not only do you feel their pain, not only are you experiencing what they're going through, but your motivation is to relieve them of their trouble, to somehow try and fix what they're going through, fix the problem. And in the Bible, the person who had the greatest amount of compassion, the one who's the best example that we could ever have in this regard, is Jesus himself. Whenever Jesus saw anyone who had a need or anyone who was in pain, immediately he was moved with compassion and he took on that suffering himself. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, tell us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This passage tells us that whenever Jesus encountered anyone in need, immediately compassion kicked in. He couldn't help but express compassion. He couldn't help but pick up their pain. And this wasn't the only time. You'll find it throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, Jesus responding in the exact same way. Matthew 14, 14 says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 41 says, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand to the leper and touched him. Takes a lot of compassion to touch someone with leprosy. Jesus said to him, I am willing, be cleansed of your leprosy. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34, then Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their blind eyes received sight and they followed him. One more, Luke chapter 7 and verse 13. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not cry. Then Jesus touched the coffin and those men carrying it stood still and Jesus said, young man, I say to you, he was dead, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. You'll find examples of Jesus reaching out to people in need throughout the Gospels because he was saturated with compassion. It was in his heart. And not only did sympathy ooze out of every pore in his being, but his motivation compelled him to reach out and to meet that need, to do something about it. You see, compassion is a God-ordained attribute. It comes right from the heart of the Father. But it is not beyond our human grasp. The Bible clearly teaches us that we can attain this same compassion. We are the people of God. And we can have the same life-changing, life-giving gift within us. Now, we're not going to be able to heal sickness like Jesus did, but we can be present, and we can pray, and we can feel the pain of other people. 
And when they're going through difficult seasons in their lives, when they're facing tough times, we can be there for them. And we can respond to them. And we can make sure that we allow this great passion and gift that God has given us to flow out and to bring healing. And I know uh, that it's within reach because in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, we are God's chosen people, we're the people of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Cover yourselves. Envelop yourselves. Fill yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, compassion is attainable. We can begin to develop this gift in our lives so that when we encounter people who are hurting, people who are broken, a, a, a flow of God's power can come out of us and it can bring the healing that those people desperately need. Now, not long after King Solomon took over for his dad, uh, King David, uh, the Bible tells us that he had a dream. And in his dream, God said to him, Solomon, you can ask me anything that you want, and I will give it to you. Now, uh, just to be clear, the dream that Solomon had was not like the dreams we have. You know, we have a dream at night like we won the lotto and, and we're all about town, spending money, going on trips and vacations, you know, living it up and we wake up in the morning and reality sets in. It was just a dream. This was real. God appeared to Solomon in a dream and he said, ask me anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, what I need more than anything else as a young man just starting to rule and reign, what I need is a gift of wisdom. I need to be able to distinguish between right and wrong and to discern what's good. And when Solomon asked God for that particular gift, a gift of divine wisdom, God was pleased with his response. And God said to him, because you did not ask for long life or for the death of your enemies, because you didn't ask for fame and fortune and to be a, a wealthy man, I'm going to go ahead and give you what you asked for. I'm going to bless you with the discernment and the wisdom. And in addition, I'm going to add on top of that everything else you didn't ask for. And God says, Solomon, I want you to know there is never going to be anyone as brilliant as you on the face of the whole earth. And Solomon lived up to the hype. If you don't believe me, just ask the Queen of Sheba. She came and checked it out for herself. And she found out that Solomon had all of this and more. Well, shortly after Solomon was king, this wisdom that God had given to him, this divine wisdom, was put to the test when two women came to see him. Now, these two women, they lived in the same house, and they both had infant sons. They both had babies. And the scripture tells us that one night, during the middle of the night, uh, one of the two women accidentally rolled onto her baby and smothered him, killing him. And when she got up and noticed this, that's when she decided to make a switch. So she took her dead baby over to her friend's bed, laid the dead baby there, and picked up her friend's living baby and brought it into her bed. Well, the other woman, as soon as she woke up, immediately she knew that that baby wasn't her. 
So she confronted the other woman who denied the switch. And so her only option was to go to King Solomon and try to work it out. Now, when Solomon found out that both of the women were claiming to be the mother of this living son, that's when he called for a sword and he gave the order to cut the baby in half and to give each of the women one half of the baby. And as soon as he passed that judgment along, the one gal who had accidentally killed her son, she said, that sounds good to me. That's fair. But the other gal, the real mom, pleaded with the king and said, oh no, my lord, don't do that. Go ahead and give my baby to the other woman. And as soon as King Solomon heard those two responses, he had his answer. His wisdom kicked in, and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who was telling the truth, and he made the appropriate judgment. But I, wanna, I want you to see why I brought you to that story this morning. Because in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 26, the Bible tells us that after Solomon gave the order to cut the baby in half, listen to what the mother had to say, the, the, the real mom. This woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son. Do you see that? She was filled with compassion. It welled up inside of her. Now, the New King James Version uses the word yearned. She yearned with compassion. And that phrase in the Hebrew, yearned with compassion, means to have an ache or an intense feeling of pain that shoots throughout your entire body. So much so, so much pain that you feel the agony deep down in your recesses and in the very core of your being. See, this is what this gal was experiencing when she heard that her son's life might be in jeopardy. She was filled with compassion. She welled up with compassion. See, that tells me that this was not just an attribute that was reserved for Jesus. This is something we can all attain. This is something that we can all develop in our lives. We can all get to the place where compassion is real and compassion is alive inside of us. And compassion is an attribute that we should all have. We should all develop it. We should all possess it. Jesus said so, Paul said so, and so did most of the other New Testament writers. And they made a big deal about this one. Genuine, God-ordained, spiritual compassion should surface every single time we come across people who are broken. That's what should come out of us since God has given this gift to us since he's impressed upon us the importance of how we should respond to one another, that's what should come out of us. When we see people who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt, we should be moved with compassion, especially spiritually. People who are lost. The unsaved people are the ones I'm talking about. People who are the furthest from God and every day moving in a direction away from God. Those are the people that should break our hearts. Now, earlier, I quoted a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Let's look at it one more time. 
This tells us that Jesus went through all the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, just like sheep without a shepherd. And so when Jesus saw all of these people, he turned to his disciples and he said to them, do you see how hopeless their situation is? Do you see how far from God they are? Is that what Jesus said? Are you following along with me? Is that what Jesus said? No, he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask or pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus looked upon the people who were broken, the people who were harassed and who were hopeless, he said what the church needs more than anything else today are workers. People who would be willing to roll up their sleeve and acknowledge that compassion is, what needed, is what's needed more than anything else. And so that when we look upon the harvest fields and we see how ripe they are, that the, the, the fruit's ready to be picked, we would be moved with the, with the kind of heart that God has moved with. And we would acknowledge that we have some work that needs to be done. Jesus, that, 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 that's what the church needs more today than anything else. It needs for the people of God to develop this acknowledgement of just how many people are out there who are hopeless and helpless and harassed, and we could move into action that we could actually become workers in the field. And I just have to be honest and say, recently, the Lord has placed a renewed deep burden on my heart for the unsaved, for those who are in a place of darkness. And again, we've gotten away from this a little bit. The church as a whole has kind of moved away from our call of evangelism, not only our church, but the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about people whose life issues have pushed them away from God's grace instead of toward God's grace. People who have experienced setbacks and situations that the enemy has exploited and has caused them to harden their hearts and to reject God's love and to reject his truth. They can't stand in a worship service like this and sing about the goodness of God because they don't know about God's goodness like we do. This is what I mean when I say that God is calling for workers. It's just for people who will see and acknowledge that there's a harvest. It's right out our back door. Only Jesus can soften a hardened heart. Only Jesus can bring us to the place of repentance. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can move us out of the dark areas of our lives. And only Jesus can put the emphasis in our hearts to take that next step and get water baptized. And since we just heard that next Sunday we're going to be having a water baptism, I I just want to put out a, a quick challenge to you. If you have yet to be baptized, you're a Christian, you love the Lord, you've been serving God, but you've yet to go into the waters of baptized, get off the fence and get in the water. The waters of baptism will refresh you. They will renew you. If you need a boost or a spiritual shot in the arm, 
and you just, you, you've lost your direction and you don't know where you're at spiritually, I, I encourage you, take that step. God will reach out to you and he'll minister to you. There's nothing like the waters of baptism. It's a really grace uh, and a great gift that's been given to us as believers. Now, let me remind you that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is a message of good news and good deeds. Say that, please. It's good news and good deeds. Not just good news, not just good deeds, but it's a combination of both. And from my perspective today, the church has gotten a little top-heavy on the good deeds side. Uh, Many of us are learning what it means to be generous, and we're responding to the call of the Holy Spirit to share some of our resources with people who are uh, needy and, and those who are less fortunate than we are. And all I can say is, way to go when it comes to your willingness to acknowledge that there are people that are hurting, people that need resources. Just the last couple of weeks, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone to the Bahamas for the Hurricane Relief Fund, and rightly so. I think that we would get outstanding marks when it comes to the good deeds side of the gospel message equation. However, in addition to reaching out financially to people who are in need, God has also called us, Community Christian Church, to preach the good news. It's not just good deeds. It's not just reaching out. But it's giving the good news. Telling people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless you forgot, here's the good news. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus died for everyone's sin. For the soiled. For the spiritually shattered. For the shamed. Everyone on the face of the whole earth, emphasis everyone, is valuable to God. Even those who you and I would categorize as enemies of the cross. God loves them. Jesus died for them and for their sins. John 3.16 doesn't say God so loved the church, he sent his only begotten son. God so loved the world. See, God is world-minded. He has a really big picture of everything that is going on. And so that should be our vision as well. And the very first step in developing a compassion for others is having a desire for God's heart. I'm going to say that again. The very first step in developing a compassion for others is to desire the same heart that God has. And again, I'm going to tell you, it's not beyond our grasp. And I know that because the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. There was a man who was living in the Old Testament. His name was David. And his heart beat just like the heart of God. And he didn't have near the grace that we have today. There's another man, this time in the New Testament, who also developed the heart of compassion. His name is Simon Peter. And before Jesus taught him the ropes, Simon Peter had no patience, no tolerance 
for gutless, spineless people like Levi, the tax collector. Peter hated that kind of a person with all of his heart. But then he gives us verses of scripture like 1 Peter 3.8, which says, finally, all of you, how many? All of you. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. As we begin to wind down and start to bring this message to a close, I want to call your attention to those last four words in 1 Peter 3.8. Be compassionate and humble. Be compassionate and humble. Over the years, I've learned that these two powerful attributes work together hand in hand. And arrogant and proud people, I dare say, people who are a little light on the humility side, usually have the same deficit when it comes to compassion. You see, compassion feeds off of humility. I'll say that again. Compassion feeds off of humility. And humility, it's what allows compassion to grow. In other words, the more humility that you can work into your life, the greater the compassion. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, it was Jesus who said, Whoever exalts himself will be what? Will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, a couple of weeks ago during the James series, when we got to James chapter 4, in the passage where the, the scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I told you that according to this statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 23, it doesn't matter which way you slice it, Sooner or later, bottom line is, you're going to be humbled. That's the goal. God wants to work this humility into our lives because humility comes from God. Humility is at the very heart of God. In fact, his heart beats humility. And God will work an entire lifetime to attempt to duplicate this one attribute into our lives. That's how important it is. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And since none of us are born humble, at least not in the true sense of the word, according to Carrie Newwolf's book, Didn't See That Coming, there's only two ways to obtain this kind of humility. So what we're after here is to try and build this compassion, this gift of compassion. We want to develop this compassion in us And on the authority of the words and the scriptures that talk about this subject, the compassion is gained and compassion is enlarged with the more humility we get into our lives. And here we're told that there's really only two ways to increase our humility. The first way is called forced humility. Say that, forced humility. Another way to say it is humiliation that's one of the ways to gain humility it's humiliation humiliation by definition is involuntary or unintentional humility 
So you're not looking for humility. You're not wanting to be humbled. It's not your first choice. It's not your last choice. I mean, it's the furthest thing from your mind. But then you fall into a situation that humiliates you, and that's when humility comes knocking on your door. Are you understanding that? So you can gain uh, some level of humility through humiliating experiences. Years and years ago when I was a police officer, I found myself uh, in a shootout with a barricaded gunman who was actually firing bullets at me, real bullets from a 9mm gun. And they were buzzing all around me. I had never been in that kind of a situation before, so I kind of freaked out. I knew there was a barricaded gunman when I pulled up. I had a shotgun in my hand. Didn't expect for the bullets to start flying. But when they did, I turned the shotgun in his direction and emptied the shotgun at him. Five rounds in the chamber. Boom, 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 boom. Gone. I missed him. But I happened to kill the refrigerator that was next to where he was standing. I mean, I blew it away. It was smoking, it was bended in half, never to be used again. We did apprehend the guy without incident. Went to court a couple of weeks later. I was on the witness stand. The defense attorney uh, gave me a picture of the refrigerator with all the bullet holes in it. Asked me to identify that photo. I said, that's the refrigerator I shot five times. And then he asked me a second question. Officer, can I ask you, have you ever been trained in the use of a firearm? And the courtroom responded the same way you did. It erupted with laughter, not just a little bit. I was humiliated. Forced humility came to me. I wasn't looking for it. Now, the downside with forced humility is when you get on the other side of your humiliating experience, you can recover. It may take a little while, but once you get past it, and once the humiliation feeling is gone, and you're able to deal with it, I mean, you know, 40 years ago, or however long this was, not quite 40 years ago, but close to it, I couldn't talk about it. Now I can. The humiliation is gone. Some of you are thinking it shouldn't be, but it is. <laughs> The downside of it is you get on the other side and you can go back to being the same arrogant, prideful person that you were before the humiliation. So forced humility is not the best way to build uh, the humble experience into your life. Now, the other way to gain humility is to actually choose it, to embrace it, to welcome it and cultivate it into your life. This is so difficult, as you well know. But it defines the kind of person who Jesus was. Jesus humbled himself to death. We read the scriptures. I I, I grabbed a few of them out of the New Testament. Talks about how he was moved with compassion and how he had this tremendous gift of being able to change lives and heal people. He humbled himself. 
He welcomed it into his life. He embraced it. He cultivated it. Nobody forced him to go to that cross. He went to the cross and humbled himself, the Bible says, on his own. Jesus was always right. He never made a mistake, not one time in his life. He never was wrong. And yet, he didn't care or seem to mind if somebody thought he was wrong. I'm not really good at that. In fact, I stink at it. Because when I'm right, I want everybody to know. Jesus humbled himself. The day he was born, humility came to him. On the day that he died, he was hanging on the cross. And religious leaders came to him along with other people and they mocked him. They said, so you're the son of God, right? You claim to be the son of God? Come down off that cross. Pop those nails out of your wrists and out of your feet and we'll believe you. Come off the cross. We'll believe you. You know, a couple days later, Jesus, well, he died and a couple days later, he was alive again. If I were Jesus, do you know where I would have been on the morning of Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday? In the Jerusalem synagogue, in the front row, waving to the religious leaders. <laughs> Remember me? Not Jesus. Other than showing himself alive to his followers and his disciples, he did not allow anyone to know he had been raised from the dead. Friend, that is the epitome of humility. And the guy with the most compassion had the most humility. It's how it works. When we say that one of our top core values here is to show compassion to the hurting or to have compassion for the unsaved or for the lost, it's not just going to happen. And this is why uh, the prophetic word came this morning about deconstructing ourselves, humbling ourselves. That's how I interpreted it. We're not going to have the kind of compassion that we need unless we allow God to go to work on those areas of our life that need to be uh, filed down a little bit so that true humility can flow through the people of God. See, when you're humble, you don't have to tell anybody you're humble. You don't have to go around with a sign saying, hey, I'm humble. No, people can see it. People will know it. And if we're going to be sincere, if we're really going to be able, as the church of God, especially these days in this culture, to show compassion to others, those who are broken, those who are hurting, then we need to put ourselves through paces where God can humble us. Compassion, I don't know that there's a gift like it. And again, it's at the very heart of God. All right, last year, right around this time, we put together a sermon series entitled, I Love My Church. Do you remember that? Some of you do. It's great. Um, yeah, you. I know you're just taking it all in. I understand. Okay. During that series, for the entire month, I think it was four weeks long, we were able to take a little time and talk about all the wonderful things that God is doing through the church. We even gave you a free I Love My Church t-shirt. 
Well, it just seemed to boost us as a church. I felt like it lifted us, that entire series, and so we decided to do it again this month. And that means another T-shirt giveaway. It's going to happen today. Only this time we changed the slogan and the brand a little bit. Instead of giving you T-shirts that say, I love my church too, the shirt's going to say, my church loves you. And you probably read it on the T-shirts of the worship team earlier, and you've seen some of the staff and volunteers with the T-shirt on. My church loves you. So I want you to wear that shirt. And if people that you don't know uh, read it, take the time to read it, or if they ask you about it, what I want you to tell them is I want you to tell them that you attend a church that loves and cares about people. That's the message. That's the good news I want you to get out. That you attend a church that loves and cares about people, that has compassion for people. And then I want you to remind them that a church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. It's made up of a group of people. People who've been able to receive compassion from God, and in return, they're going to show compassion to one another. So the next couple of weeks, maybe even through the holidays, let's show the world a little love. Can we do that? All right. Bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for speaking to us this morning. Uh, not only through the worship time and through the prophetic word, but, Lord, through the preached word. We thank you for your word, Lord, that challenges your word. It's alive inside of us, Lord. And I, I can just feel right now that there are people here that desire this, Lord. We all know people. We all have family members and friends, people that are very dear to us, who have yet to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is our desire that people would come to know you as Savior and Lord. And so we're asking, Lord, that you would add onto all of the other gifts that you've given to this church. I pray, Lord God, that this one core value would stand out, that we would learn what it means to show compassion to others, that we would develop this in our lives. And Lord, if we don't sign up for additional humility lessons, at least when they come, help us to navigate them, Lord. Help us to continually say that God is good even when we're going through a tough time. Even when we might be recipients of what we call the humiliation process. Humiliating process. Lord, I'm asking that you would deposit within this church a desire to not only share the message of good deeds, but the message of good news. That we have a Savior who humbled himself and died a horrific death on the cross so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I pray, Lord, that that good news would resound in each of our hearts. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.